0: Good day you are listening to Free City Radio. This is the 110th edition. It is Wednesday the 26th of May. I'm your host Stefan Christoph. On the program today I'm going to be featuring an interview with Kendra Carnejo, uh, who works with Make the Road New York. This interview looks at the ways that Make the Road New York is campaigning not just in New York City but in New York State for housing rights, of immigrant communities and also looking at the public school system, particularly campaigning around detentions. There is an active campaign that Make the Road New York is working on, shaped around restorative justice frameworks, which is attempting to address the systematic use of detention within public schools in New York, as this affects uh, particularly students from marginalized communities, Uh, black communities, immigrant communities, students who are struggling often with socioeconomic uh, challenges within the home context, within the social context. Make the Road New York is one of the largest grassroots activist organizations in New York State. They work a lot in different boroughs of the city and also campaign in New York. Make the Road New York was instrumental in pushing for federal funding for undocumented people in the context of the pandemic, a campaign that was successful resulting in billions of dollars of public funding for undocumented people struggling also with the realities of the pandemic, often working in an unrecognized context within frontline jobs. I wanted to share with you this conversation I had with Kendra, here on Free City Radio this week. Here it is.
1: Great, thank you so much. Um, so, Make the Road New York is one of the largest grassroots organizations uh, working in New York. Our community organizing has over twenty-five thousand members across the state, um, with a deeper focus in Long Island, Westchester, and New York City. Uh, Our organizing and our organization really centers around a few main pillars, right? Is, of course, organizing and building power with the people in our community. Um, The next is changing policy, right? Making sure that the power that we're building has tangible black and white impacts in the law of the land, Um, We also make sure to provide uh, direct services, which are incredibly important. During the pandemic, we've made sure to have food pantries available in all of our offices. We provide adult education classes for people to learn the English language and to also uh, help them pass their citizenship exams. And then, of course, we have our legal work, where we make sure that Our community members have access to lawyers that specialize in housing rights, workplace justice organizing, uh, immigration. Uh, All of these uh, different concepts all work together to make the powerhouse organization that our members work and drive and guide every single day.
0: So in regards to public policy and public institutions, I think there is isn't often an understanding of the, the sort of political relationship between the on-the-ground organizing that you're involved in through Make the Road New York and the way that policies are shaped, adapted, and the way that government is forced to respond to the organizing of a, of a grassroots project like, like the one that you work with. Can you maybe just share a bit about that process and through that, maybe highlight a few examples of work that you're doing right now?
1: Absolutely. I, you know, there are so many different examples and, you know, also just for context, I had come to make The Road New York from a background of labor organizing, from a background of union organizing. Um, I worked um, with the AFL-CIO Uh, in the beginning of my career, just really learning the craft of organizing from different labor unions across the country. And after that, I went into retail organizing and worked organizing Walmart workers, uh, in, in Florida specifically, and then in the Northeast. Um, and from my experience organizing, I've learned that there are so many different, like, pathways that organizing can take, right? There's so many different factors that impact an organizing campaign. And I think some of those facts, I mean, the first factors, of course, is the people power, right? Who are the people leading the work on the ground? Who are the people truly making the decisions, right? Not people who are gathered in a room and asked to rubber stamp an opinion from leaders union leadership at the top right but people who are really coming together and saying hey neighbor this is happening to me is this happening to you oh it's happening to you too let's do a power analysis and see who are the people who are pulling the strings here and how do we impact that change and change those power dynamics right those real real conversations are the ones that truly drive authentic organizing. And those are the conversations that we focus on having across our organization uh, when we start campaigns. Um, Typically at Make the Road New York, we have a, a... Essentially a list of things that we want to focus on, right? That is the process, our members in all of our different committees come together. In each of their committees, they say this is what our committee wants to focus on. And it, you know, because it's such a large organizing organization, it, it becomes a list. Now, during the pandemic, we saw that the work and the impact and the the basic survival all of us, of all members and staff alike was at stake. So as an organization, we came together and said, what are the top problems that we are facing and how are we gonna tackle it with the most force necessary, right? Um, And what we saw is that people wanted to focus on housing and the fact that many of them were excluded from economic relief. Right, so two of the campaigns that emerged from that was this fight for housing and tenants' rights, and then also the fight for a fund for excluded workers. Right, again, these are immigrant workers in New York State who deliver food, who work in construction, who work as street vendors, who work—you know—so many different areas of work um, that are are in the shadows. And when the federal government was sharing some sort of relief, right, we were seeing that our undocumented community members were not receiving anything. So from that came the Fund for Excluded Workers fight. And we rallied and took over bridges and did so many creative, incredible actions at the governor's mansion in Albany. Um, I took over multiple bridges with our folks, and in the end, there was a 2.1 billion dollar worker fund created. Right, that came directly from the people. 2.1 billion, right? Not million, billion dollars right came from people power and it was just an incredible incredible um show of strength and what happens when people come together to address the power dynamics that are that they are facing so i mean that's an example of course of a very successful campaign right something that was immediate it was driven by the people the political um landscape was ripe for making sure that undocumented immigrants were included in this relief during the pandemic. Beautiful, amazing wins all around. Now, I wanna highlight work that I'm specifically working on that is still in progress and it hasn't been as clear cut. So I work with the Youth Power Project. We are the youth organizing arm of Make the Road New York. As I mentioned before, we have our groups um, on Long Island, in Brooklyn, in Queens, and in Staten Island. Um, So our four main uh, youth organizing groups have fought for over a decade now uh, for the Solutions Not Suspensions Act. Now, our young people came together over 10 years ago to say, What are we facing in schools, right? I'm seeing my friends get pushed out of school, get suspended, get kicked out of class for minor things, for chewing gum in the hallway, for having their earbuds in the hallway, for wearing a hoodie in class. It's automatic kicking out of class, suspension, insubordination, right? This is what they were seeing. So they came together as a group. They joined other groups youth groups in in New York State, and they created the Solutions, Not Suspensions Coalition. Now, the statewide coalition drafted language around the problem that the youth brought to them, right? So, great, we have a bill drafted. Now, it has been seven years since the bill has been introduced in the New York State Legislature. We are at the end of the legislative session right now, May 13th, both the assembly education committee and the Senate education committee have had their last education committees of the legislative session. And solutions, not suspensions was not on the agenda to be discussed and moved at a committee for the seventh year in a row. Why? It would make sense we have over 65 legislators co-sponsoring or you know essentially supporting the legislation in the assembly and over 24 co-sponsors in the senate so if you're saying we have a majority of supporters in the assembly education committee and you're saying to yourself with all of that support in the new york state legislature why hasn't solutions not suspensions passed We've had our young people share their stories about how it's impacted them. We've had our, you know, bill sponsors get up and do press conferences. We've had major rallies in Albany. I have personally taken young people to Albany for the last month. Every single week, I go up to Albany with young people from each group from Staten Island, from Brooklyn, from Queens, from Long Island, and we go up and we have meetings with legislators to lobby them, to let them know what it means to us to pass this bill and the impact it would have on the young people who are disproportionately suspended, which are Black students, Latinx students, Brown students, queer students, students with disabilities, working class students, these are all the students who are disproportionately suspended because of structural racism, because of white supremacy, because we see that instead of meeting black and brown students with compassion, with understanding, we're seeing that the school system sees them as problem children. Doesn't take the time to figure out What is the root cause of why this student is acting this way? Did they eat this morning? Are they housing insecure? Is there something going on in their family that is emotionally impacting them and creating this sort of interaction, right? There's, there are very, very few schools who really take the time to get to the root cause of the problem. We know as a part of our solutions, not suspensions bill, restorative justice is centered in that bill, right? And restorative justice doesn't mean that if a student does something wrong, that there are no consequences, right? That is not what restorative justice means. Restorative justice means that students will get to the root cause of the problem by actually having compassion, understanding, support from adults whose entire role- is to make sure that young people are emotionally, socially, mentally okay. Students have been away for over a year and a half from schools, right? This past September was the first time students were coming back. And just like all the adults in the world, right, where we experience grief in our families, maybe we, someone in our family lost a job, maybe it was incredibly hard to pay our rents, during the pandemic right maybe you had a family member who was incredibly sick all of these things added trauma to our young people and they're going into these schools holding this grief and instead of being met with compassion and support right again we're seeing them kicked out right and i can tell you many stories of our young people uh, in our groups who have been suspended and what that and how that's impacted them. Um, I'll just share one quickly if, if you'll allow. Um, one of my young people here on Long Island, uh, he is a senior at the same high school that I attended when he was in 10th grade. So 10th grade, you're saying 15, 16, maybe he posted a Snapchat right? And for those not familiar, Snapchat, social media app where you can post something and it will delete in 10 seconds. In that time, Area 51 was all the rage. That was the joke among the youth. Area 51, oh, there are aliens, blah, blah, blah. He made a Snapchat of coordinates to Area 51 and said, oh, like... Be careful, like you don't know what's under there. Like it could be weapons, something to that effect. It was a joke related to aliens. Someone in his universe that had his Snapchat saw the Snapchat, took a screenshot of it, right? To save it since it would delete. Shared it with their parent who went to the police about it. The police came knocking at my young person's door at 1030 at night, aggressively screaming at them about the dangers they're putting themselves in and their family and their fellow students. His parents were like, what is going on? My young person was like, I have no idea. They took him in for questioning the third precinct, which is the local precinct here and interrogated him for over two hours. The next day. He went into school and was called down by the principal's office. The principal had already heard the cop's side of the story. Didn't bother asking him, what is this? What is this about? Immediately suspended him for the remainder of the school year, which was six months. He was suspended for six months over a post that was blown out of proportion, right? He almost failed that school year because he was not given his work on time. Now, as a senior, when he was applying to college and he was asked the question, have you ever been suspended? He almost gave up applying to college, right? He was so discouraged that this was going to follow him for the rest of his life, right? And how it was going to impact him. He almost gave up, right? That year was incredibly... This is a student who loves video games and hangs out with friends when he's free and has never been in trouble before that suspension, has never been in trouble after that suspension, right? And here he was by his school, cast out, suspended, he wasn't allowed on the property, he wasn't allowed to see his friends. As a teenager, that is the worst thing you could have possibly done, is isolate him. Right? And now we're seeing the impacts of it years still later. Right. We've been working on pushing him to like work through how hurt he felt to apply to college. And let me tell you, it is incredibly difficult to talk through emotions with a teenage boy. Um, So, you know, I, I, I share that as one example of why we need to pass solutions, not suspensions now. um, You know, I think our. The legislature is very one-track minded. We know that the teachers unions are not in support. The state teachers unions and the city teachers unions are not in support of the bill because in their mind, you know, limiting the use of suspensions and relying more on restorative justice for them means that we're taking a tool out of their toolbox, right? It means we're undermining their authority because they won't be able to kick students out of their class at their discretion it is disgusting and it's real and they endorse a lot of legislators and we know that money talks in albany in politics so it is an uphill battle that our young people are continuing to fight because even though the legislative session is almost over it is not over yet so we will be going up to Albany on Tuesday and continuing to lobby and continuing to share our stories and meet with members of the Senate and assembly leadership to push them to do the right thing and pass solutions, not suspensions this session.
0: So often, you know, when we think about the long-term impacts uh, around public policy within schools on suspensions, or the familial impacts of a precarious housing situation, you know, which we are seeing right now in New York with the rent hike. We're seeing this uh, discussion about the immediate um, danger that that presents in terms of evictions uh, and people not being able to afford the rent. But the story that you've shared about a youth really illustrates how um, public policy has long-term impacts particularly on uh, youth and more broadly on families that are already living precarious realities in terms of the questions they face uh, financially, but also in terms of systemic racism that shapes a lot of uh, experiences, particularly in New York. Can you, um, we don't have that much time, but like maybe just um, share a few thoughts about the ways that your work with Make the Road New York tries to link, you know, addressing these individual realities that you've shared. And thank you so much for sharing that story to a broader understanding of how they have a long-term effect on a systemic level.
1: So I, I hope I'm interpreting your question correctly. I think one thing that we do at Make the Road New York is that we make sure that we work together but 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 a deeper night. I I don't mean that in a in a cheesy way like kumbaya we all work together I mean it to say in a very deep entrenched uh way of our inter our fights are intersectional right and our members know that our fights are intersectional because we practice that work every single day right as a youth organizer when i went up to albany last or this past tuesday of this week we had a member of our parent organizing committee join us with her daughter because this fight is important to her too because it matters to her children as well you know we are going up to albany on tuesday And we're, as young people, we're taking a group up to lobby, yes, for solutions, not suspensions, but also to participate in the huge housing action to support the good cause eviction bill, right? There are over 5 million tenants in New York State who have no protections against wrongful eviction. The good cause eviction bill would allow tenants to fight unfair evictions and limit rent increases which could be set based on the local price index, right? Like there are so many ways that we need to protect our homes, the roof over our heads, right? And good cause is one of those bills. So we're going to have a giant action in Albany and our young people are going to support because we know that it impacts them and their families as well, right? And, And again, it just, it goes in a circle. All of the work that we do, the immigrant organizing, the, TGNCIQ organizing that we do, the housing, like all of it is connected. And we work together as a membership of Make the Road New York to make sure that we include each other in all of our fights. That all of our actions are accessible in Spanish because we know that there are a number of Spanish, of, of monolingual Spanish speakers in our membership. Right. And in in actions where we know that the majority are monolingual Spanish speakers, we make sure to have English interpretation for all of our members where, who are monolingual English speakers. Right. All of our committee meetings, all of our Facebook lives, everything that we do is accessible. It includes all of our membership. Right. Our black membership, our queer membership are where everyone is included and has a seat at the table. And it's one of the most beautiful, powerful things to know that every day I work in a space that includes all of my peoples.
0: Respect. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak today.
1: Great, thank you so much for having me.
0: That was a conversation with Kendra Carnejo from Make the Road New York, an excellent activist organization in New York State. Thank you so much to Kendra for joining the program this week. Uh, For listeners, please look up Make the Road New York. I think it's an incredible grassroots initiative that works on a variety of issues, looking at the intersections of the rights to housing, the rights to uh, public education that is safe and secure for students and families who are facing precarious socioeconomic and political conditions and many other issues uh, that Make the Road New York works on including support for undocumented communities and families. Thank you to Kendra. I also want to thank my friend RJ Makani for suggesting this topic for the program this week. And to finish the broadcast I wanted to feature a piece of music that was partially recorded in New York City that I worked on as part of the Rev Sonar project from the album Crepescule. Uh, This piano section for the piece was recorded at Alwan for the Arts, or 16 Beaver Street in, in Manhattan. And um, so here it is. I'll be back next Wednesday. Free City Radio broadcasts once a week on CKUT. Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Also on CKUW in Winnipeg. Tuesdays at 8 a.m. And CFRC in Kingston. Wednesdays at 11.30 a.m. And also on CJLO Radio in Montreal on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. I look forward to sharing another interview with you next week. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal, and take care.